If you would, grab your Bible and turn to Hebrews in chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at the first six verses, and then grab the, your East Bay Weekly and turn to the back. And the passage we're going to navigate through may seem a bit heavy at first today, but it's actually quite simple, and it all comes down to one word, and if we can wrap our minds around this one word, it is going to illuminate our hearts with the very truth that God wants to capture here um, our thoughts with today. And in the next six verses, there is one main command that the writer gives, and it is this one word. And it's translated a couple different ways in your um, scriptures. And if we all compared our Bibles this way, we're probably, we would see that there's at least two ways it is translated, maybe three different ways. Um, but let's, let's look there, verse 1, and I actually have it up on the screen for us here this morning, the way it's translated in my copy of the Scriptures. Here's how it reads. It says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Now, the word that we're going to be looking at and talking about in a very specific way, in my translation, is actually translated as three specific words. Fix your thoughts. It's the main command of these first six verses. Some translations say consider. How many in your translation says consider? So quite a number of you this morning. Now let's be all on the same page for a moment. It's pretty obvious the writer is talking directly to people who are in God's family. If, if you look at the text, it says he calls them brothers and sisters and he mentions these brothers and sisters share in the heavenly calling. So it's evident these are followers of Jesus Christ, those who believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for their sin. There is, there is no doubt about it. They are one body, one family in God because of their belief in Jesus Christ. And he tells them this command, fix your Thoughts. Consider. Now I'm going to give you a few different things. And here's we're going to walk in the deep weeds. Are you ready? We're going to walk in the deep weeds. We won't get too far in that we won't find our way back. But here we go. I want to tell you a few different things about this word. Number one, although in my translation it's three words, fix your thoughts, although it's three words in the original language. It is one word. I won't tell you what that one word is in the Greek because, number one, I will just mispronounce it. And then, number two, you'll just forget it anyway. So I'm not going to tell you what it is. But I'm going to tell you four things about it. It is in the first aorist active imperative voice. Now, this is the deep weeds but it's awesome. We've got to understand this. So number one, 
the reality that it is in the first verse is significant. And the aorist and the active and the imperative. So these mean it is way far more than just to consider. So if you see a translation that says, consider Jesus, it means way more than that. It's much more significant because when we think of consider, it's kind of like to take something into account when deciding. Like when I took my wife out for Valentine's Day this week. I hope you folks did that here this week if you um, have a special person in your life. And we were considering what was on the menu. And as we were weighing our options, consider... We're weighing our options, looking at the menu together. I said, honey, what, what are you thinking? Are you, are you considering the, the chicken nuggets or the quarter pounder with cheese? <laughs> Which one is it? And so, you know, there's this consideration that you give, and it, and it may not be a very significant thing. The word that we're talking about is way beyond that. So here, let me give you these four understandings about the word. Number one, the fact that it is in the first tense. First means you. So let, here's what he's saying. I'm talking to you. Like, you talking to me? Yes, I'm talking to you. Aorist means this is a continuing activity. It does not consider a stopping of doing this. So when he says, fix your thoughts, the idea is, and I'm not thinking of you stopping. You continue to keep your thoughts on Jesus. And then the idea of it being active means it is intensive. You're locked in. So I'm talking to you, and I want you to keep doing it, and I want you to do it with intensity. Like you're really thinking about this. This isn't haphazard. And then imperative, we would know this from our English class, imperative is a Wow, you all failed English. Imperative means it's a command. You better do this. This is not an option. So he says, fix your thoughts. You continue with intensity and you better do it. This is a heavy word. This is not just consider one of many options this is the only option and we need to put our attention on Jesus Christ so this is a word packed with significance far beyond what we would see in our English language this is a word used just two other times in the New Testament and I want to show you one popular place um, and in this verse, it is used with a sharp contrast 
with the opposite idea. So it's interesting, it's used in Matthew 7, 3. And it's kind of ironic how it is used. I want to show you on the screen, Matthew 7, 3. And you're going to see this intensive, constant look at something from this words of Jesus. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? So here's Jesus talking to the people around him, and he says, why do you, same Greek word, look with intensity constantly at the issues that your brother has? However, when you've got a big deal going on in your life, you don't even pay any attention. Now, does Jesus not know us or what? He uses the identical word that the writer of Hebrews used when he was smacking people around for fixating on everyone else's little tiny faults, yet ignoring their own. And Jesus nailed it because nothing arrests our attention quite like when people do things that annoy us. Are we talking the same language here? Yeah. Like when people do stuff we hate or when others have faults that grate us, we just can't look away. You know, and our parents' advice just ignore it. You know, it just doesn't work. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you guys have kids. We all were kids. I remember when I was a kid in the back seat of our little Subaru, and it just sat three, and there was my brother, my sister in the middle, and myself. And we were on the long trip from upstate New York down to New Jersey to visit our relatives. And this five-hour trip seemed like it was 10 hours. And the second we sat down, my brother and I just kind of fanned out to use up as much space as we could. And instantly, my sister started complaining. You know, Dad, they're, on their, they're off their side and they're using my side. And then instantly, Mom and Dad, boys, stay on your side. And then my sister would be like, you see the seam in the vinyl seat? You can't cross that. It was like, oh my, word, you know, they're crossing the seam. They're crossing the seam. She would say, it's like, oh my goodness. And then she would start singing. And we're like, oh my word. And she keeps singing. And then finally, like, you know, mom, dad, she's singing. And they're like, Pam, stop singing. And then she, and she'd start humming. She's humming. Stop humming. And then, and my brother was the best one. He would like breathe out of his mouth in an annoying way. He'd be like, oh. <laughs> My sister would be like, he's breathing out of his mouth. And Dad and Mom would be like, Scott, stop breathing out your mouth. And then he'd breathe out his nose. He'd be like, <sighs> Pam would be like, he's breathing out his nose. And dad be like, Scott, stop breathing. (laughs) 
You know, when, when people do stuff like, ah, you can't not look away, you know? You see every bit of it. You're so focused on everything they do. You know, we know how to fixate on other people's problems, don't we? If you don't believe that, look at Facebook. We know how to fixate on other people's problems. We know how to fixate on our problems. It's called worry. True story. We stew about everything that's going wrong. All the problems that might happen. We lose sleep. Our desperation and despair grows. Our temptations seem impossible to resist. There appears to be no way out as we focus on our problems. They just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. We focus on other people and their problems. We focus on our problems. We know how to focus and fixate on all the perceived solutions to what we would like done. Like, if I just got more money, if I just got more money, all of this would just go away. Or if I just got a better job, if I was just in a relationship, if I just had better parents, or if I just had a better spouse, you know, pills would make me feel better, or a drink would make me feel better, or sex would take away my pain, or weed would ease my pain, or, you know, I just need to go out and purchase a bunch of stuff. That would satisfy me. And all of these things, we know how to focus on all the perceived solutions. We know, we know how to focus our dependency on other people. You know who I need in my life. I need to call these people. I need to call those people. And, and, and we think about everyone else, and I understand people are important and community is a gift, but it's never to take the place of our focus and dependency on Jesus. So here's the reality. Let's just go back to verse 1 of chapter 3. Believers in Jesus, right? Brothers and sisters who've tasted the heavenly calling. Believers in Jesus can and often do lose their focus in Jesus. Are you with me? Have you been there? Can, can you see this guy right here? I've been there. We can come to church we can have the right theology. We can sing the right songs. I can say the right things to everyone around me. I can do everything right in here, and I can walk out of here, and my focus can be on everyone else's problems. They can be on my problems. They can be on what I feel all my solutions are and who I need to involve to fix everything I have going on and I lose sight 
completely lose sight of Jesus Christ. And that's why the text has one command, and this is the one command. You, me, you, constantly, intently, definitely, fix your mind, your thoughts on Jesus Christ. Now here's how we fix our thoughts on Jesus. Here's things about Jesus that the text says we've got to think about. And there's three things, and look at them. These are really fantastic. It mentions right in there, fix your thoughts on Jesus, verse 1, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So I'm going to give you the first two right from verse 1. And here's what they are on your study guide if you're keeping notes this morning. I want you to understand from verse 1, when it talks about apostle, the word specifically means a sent one. And here it is even more than that. It is more than just an envoy or more than just an ambassador more than just a representative, but in the original language that this is written, it is one who is sent with power to handle the problem. And so I have labeled this what we confess about Jesus, how we fix our thoughts on him, is we understand right off the bat, he's my hero from heaven. He is my hero from heaven. He is the one sent from God with the power to do something about my problems. Politically today, we, we see foreign ambassadors as mere figureheads. That's this apostle or ambassador Individuals there for photo ops or to feign relationship between two distant entities. But in this instance right here, the wording intimates that God sent Jesus to us not just as a representative, go and tell them that I'm here. But he sent Jesus as a representative and gave him the power to do everything necessary to rescue us out of our predicament. And this is our creed. So this is, this is exactly what the text is saying. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the reality that he's our hero from heaven. He's the one that God sent to rescue us out of our situation. That's our creed. The truth is we aren't our hero. Government is not our hero. Booze is not our hero. Pills are not our hero. Relationships and money and sexuality and popularity, all of these things are not our rescue. 
But he's saying, fix your thoughts on Jesus. He's the hero. There's no other one from heaven sent to rescue us from our sin. There's no other hero. There's no other savior. There's no other redeemer. And our confidence and focus is fixed on Jesus. Our hero from heaven sent by God with the power to save. Here's number two, and we're going to see how he's saved. So our hero from heaven, he is the representative from God. That is that apostle. He's the representative from God sent with power to fix our problem. Number two It mentions he's the high priest. He is the high priest. Now this is interesting because it is the other direction now. The apostle, he is the one sent from God. In the high priest, he is my representative to God. Can you you see the shift there? The one he's sent from God with power. This one, whoop, it's the other way. He is my representative to God. And so here we're talking about he is my bridge to God. So here's what we're confessing about Jesus. He's my hero from heaven. He's my bridge to God. The first title showed Jesus was God's representative to us. The high priest shows he's our representative to God. Now, with all of the imagery of the Old Testament, I want to show you this just quickly in a pic. There's so much imagery from the Old Testament. (coughs) Excuse me. About the, the temple and the tabernacle and the significance that is found in it. And here it mentions Jesus is the high priest he is the one who bridges us to God and so the high priest would go into the most holy place the holy of holies he was the only one of all of the people of Israel who could go in there and he went on behalf of all of the people and he would make a sacrifice in that place on behalf of the people, and he would make that sacrifice to God as an atonement for the sin of the people. And so the text is saying, here's what we remember about Jesus, is that he is our high priest, he is the one who went to God on our behalf and made sacrifice for our sin. He's the one who atoned for our sin. And here's the beauty of it. He is not only our high priest. He is also our sacrifice. He is the one who atoned for our sin when he died on the cross. That is what we just remembered with Pastor Reist. The body and the blood of Jesus Christ. He was the atoning sacrifice when he died on the cross for our sin. He is the bridge to God. That is our creed. 
There is no other bridge. There is no other way. There is no other representative. Our confidence and focus is fixed on Jesus, the only perfect one worthy to be sacrificed in our place for our sin as our bridge to God. That's Jesus. Now here's number three. So our confession about Jesus, what we're fixing our thoughts on about Jesus, he's our hero from heaven. Would you say it with me? He's our, and next time you can say it like you believe it, he's my, yeah, he's my bridge, and now we'll do it again. He's my bridge to God. And then the third one is, he's the builder of my life. He's the builder of my life. Now, this is where the readers were in danger of lifting up Moses. So let's walk into this here as we finish up this morning. Verse 2. I'm going to read down through verse 6, and we'll finish up. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of Greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as son over God's house. Catch this phrase. And we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. He is the builder of my life. So here's where the readers were in danger of lifting up Moses. We wouldn't have big thoughts about Moses. Probably no one in this room has thoughts about elevating Moses above Jesus. But these people were steeped in a religion before coming to this point that elevated Moses. I, I want to uh, refresh our memory, some different things about Moses' life that these people would have been enamored about. Like number one, he was saved as an infant. I, I don't know if you learned this maybe from your earlier years, but he was saved as an infant. He was put in a basket because they were going to kill the infant Jewish children. He was put in a basket in the Nile River, and uh, Pharaoh's daughter ended up finding him. We, got, we have um, some different pictures for you here this morning, um, and he escaped execution. Do we have any of these pics that are popping up, or do we have some problems with our video here this morning? Is it up there? I'm just not seeing it over here, so Okay. So, um, no wonder those people thought big things about Moses. Moses, um, Moses personally saw the glory of God, even so that it lit up his face. The Bible said his face shone. He withstood Pharaoh through the plagues to let the people of Israel out of Egypt. Now, um, this is probably one of the most famous things about Moses is he helped 
in that letting the people of Israel out of Egypt to part the Red Sea. And the Israelites escaped on dry land through the Red Sea. And then when the Egyptians tried to get behind them to capture them, the Red Sea then came back behind them. Um, the other picture we wanted to use was Charlton Heston, and I know that would have been a distraction to many of you people here. Another reason why the Israelites really thought well of Moses, remember um, God spoke to him through a burning bush. God spoke to him out of heaven. Moses was the one that God wrote the Ten Commandments on two tablets of stone and gave them to Moses to give to the people of Israel. And then God used Moses to write the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible and then God through Moses gave the plans for the tabernacle and the construction of the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, if you're an Israelite, folks, you're thinking, wow, Moses is the man. I mean, this is the guy that God did the greatest things through. And, and tremendous things. Look how God used Moses. He was radically revered over all of Israel for good reason and so how do we settle the argument of how Jesus is over Moses and the text steps in and just nails it? Verses 3 through 6, he just comes right out and says these words. He says, Jesus is worthy of greater honor than Moses. And here's why. Just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself, so guess who the builder of this house is? It's Jesus. Every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house. And that's a great thing. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house and here's the big thing he's getting to. We are the house. God's not talking about building a structure like this. You are who God is building. You're the structure of God. You're who God is constructing. God has his hands on you and Jesus is building you and me. We are the house of God. And this is our creed, and Moses was nice. God used him as a servant, but let's look at who the contractor is, and it's Jesus Christ, and his fingerprints are all over us. And so we recognize that he's the builder of my life, and these are the things, folks, that he needs us to remember about Jesus. He needs us to fixate on. And my fear is we're going to walk out of here and forget. And we can't. 
He's our hero from heaven. He's our bridge to God. He's the builder of my life. We'll fixate on our problems. We'll fixate on other people. We'll fixate on what we think the solution needs to be. And you know what? The text says stop. We need to fixate on the one who it's really all about. It's Jesus. Would you say it with me? He's my hero from heaven. Say it with me. He's my He's my bridge to God. He's my He's the builder of my life. He's the, those are things that the text drives home. We need to focus on him. We need to consider him. We need to fix our thoughts on him. In fact, um, I hope you're in a small group and your small group needs to get together and you guys need to talk about this. Like, how can, how can I keep my eyes on Jesus and not get all wrapped up in everything going on around me? It's a great question for you guys to consider. Here's an old song I learned as a kid. says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior. And life more abundant and free. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Then the chorus goes like this. I don't know if you know it or not. If you do, sing it with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Full, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Things of earth will grow strong. In the light of his glory and grace. Yeah. You know, when everything around is going crazy, just like the writer says, fix our thoughts on Jesus. I want to give you three things to think through. Number one, um, You need to recognize him as your hero, your bridge, and your builder. It's probably one of the best things about the text is um, it says, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle, our high priest. He's mine. So I just say it to you. Is he your hero? Is he your bridge? You say, well, I go to church? Nice. Is he your hero? Well, I've done good things. It's not what I'm talking about. Is he your hero? Is he your bridge? Do you believe Jesus came to your rescue and died on the cross for your sin? 
it's he yours. It's where it all starts. That's where it all starts. He's your hero, your bridge, and your builder. And you need to tell God, God, I believe that you sent Jesus on a mission to rescue me. And I rely in his death as the only way of forgiveness and the only bridge to relationship with you. That's what we need to express to God. We say, build my life into what you want it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. That needs to be your prayer. God, you're my hero. You're my bridge. You're my builder. And that's where it starts. Number two, and I've heard you folks talking about this since two weeks ago when we talked about drifting. Install some personal rumble strips. Remember we talked about that with drifting? We need to have some rumble strips in our lives that help keep our focus where it needs to be. And when we get fixating on all our problems, we need to have some things around us that make some noise to get us back on focus where it needs to be. And I'm going to give you three quick rumble strips. God's Word. God's Word will make some noise. It's a mirror that shows us what we look like. Be in God's word. Be in prayer to God. Hard to focus on him if we don't even talk to him. I'm going to tell you some people that, some things that make some real noise. God's people. You guys make a lot of noise. You know that? Be in a small group. Have some God friends around you. We need people around us that are going to make some noise if we start to lose focus. Focus on everything else besides Jesus. And then I got one third one, and your small group can probably fill in a lot more than this to keep focusing on Jesus. And the third one I have is enjoy him. You know what, we'll focus more readily on what we enjoy. I mean, Jesus isn't, it's not spinach, you know, like, eat your spinach, it's good for you, kind of a thing. Like, he's awesome. Like, this is good stuff. And enjoy him. Talk about him. Learn of him. Connect with people who love him. And you find out, like, this is great. And you realize the more you enjoy him, the more you focus on him. And the more the other stuff starts going by the wayside. And the more he gets you through life. He's the greatest thing to take pleasure in. So would you stand with